You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Before we jump in, man, I just want to say, first of all, I missed you guys last week. Uh, I had a great uh, little getaway with my lovely, beautiful, almost perfect wife. And man, it was it was good to get away. But I'm grateful that man, we have leadership here that just steps up, and man, we just don't skip a beat. And this is why, because we focus on Jesus, not people, right? So it doesn't matter who's up here, as long as God has called them. It, do, it doesn't have to be me. It doesn't even have to be Andrew, right? It just has to be someone God has called. And we are blessed with a strong leadership team here. So I'm just grateful for Pastor Andrew for stepping in, man. And he is like a he's a workaholic. Right. So I don't know if you've ever been here on a Sunday where he wasn't on stage. So if he's not leading worship, it's because he's preaching. Right. And man, I'm trying to get him to take some breaks and just to, you know, to to breathe a little bit. But he just loves Jesus that much. He just wants to always just be working and working and working for him. But man, there was a trickle effect last week. So if I'm going, Andrew's preaching and then someone else has to lead worship. And man, God blessed us with Janine and they've been here over a year now, and man, we're just blessed. So what I want us to do is I want us to recognize the leadership that we have here, and if you'll just give them just a round of applause, and I know we don't applause people, we applause God, but man, we are grateful for them, right? So I'm going to lead this clap, and I just want us to show our appreciation to the leadership here at Impact Church. And man, in this series, we've been talking about, yes, marriage, but also We are speaking to the people who aren't yet married. We are speaking to the ones who are hoping to be married one day. We're speaking to the ones who are in a dating relationship, who may be in an engagement type relationship, or maybe the one who just isn't in a relationship at all. And they're just waiting and they're they're just preparing themselves for whatever God has for them in the future. We're also speaking to those of you who are married and our prayer and our heart throughout this series is that the Spirit will work in a way where your marriage is strengthened. But not strengthened for earthly matters, but strengthened to be a God-honoring marriage. A marriage that really glorifies and honors God. A marriage that is healthy in terms of biblical healthiness. And in week one, we looked at protecting and pursuing. We looked at protecting our priorities where God is priority number one. And spouse is priority number two. And then we talked about pursuing our two. We pursue our spouse. And me and Ashley had a conversation last night about pursuing. And she was like, yeah, we didn't do a whole lot of pursuing at all, ever, in our whole relationship. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Like, I pursued pretty heavily, I thought. So I'm realizing now, 12 years later, that, man, I did a horrible job at this pursuit thing. So, man, I'm learning how to do this with you, right? And man, last week, Pastor Andrew talked about uh, communication and how there's just certain conversations that we need to have in our marriage. And, and this week, we're going to be looking at what it looks like to fight fair, to fight fair in our marriages. And some of you are sitting there and you're polishing your halo and you're like, yeah, we don't fight. Here's the deal. We fight, Right. So we're not talking about, hey, what do you do if you fight? That's not what this is. This is, hey, when you do fight, this is how you should fight fair. 
Because we're going to fight. We're sinful people. No matter how amazing you think you are, you think your spouse is, you're sinful and so are they. Amen? Man, the husbands were like, amen, amen. So there's just, so the difference is, right, there's a difference between how unhealthy couples fight and how healthy couples fight. And that difference is paramount. The way that we fight matters. And if we're going to call ourselves followers of Jesus, and if we really want to have a marriage that honors Him, then we have to learn how to fight fair. We have to learn what the Bible says about arguments and conflict and how to deal with that. See, unhealthy couples, man, they, they fight with, with jabs and low blows and, and knife throwing and high heel throwing and whatever else you want to throw, right? That is not a healthy couple. See, healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. Now, this is really hard for us, especially me. I'm a competitive person, and I like to win. And man, I pass that down to a couple of my kids, at least one, and she loves to win, and she cries when she loses. I'm about the same way, right? I just don't like to lose. So when we start getting into these fights and this conflict arises, then man, my first human fleshly reaction is to win. I'm going to win this. I'm going to win this fight. I'm going to win this argument. First of all, because I am very intelligent. Secondly, I can like wordsmith really well, you know, so I can throw some words out here this way and this way. And what is that? That is throwing jabs and low blows at your spouse. That is uncalled for, and it's not the way that Jesus couples fight. So how do we fight? Before we get there, we're going to be in James chapter 1. I want to tell you the two, really quick, just the two main reasons that we see conflict in marriage. And number one is unmet expectations. There's unmet expectations. Now, I don't know what you expected coming into your marriage. I expected kind of like the way I was brought up, right? And that's usually how it goes. And I don't know if I've told you this before, but my mama cleaned my room until I moved out of the house. I'm not ashamed to admit that. She cleaned my room and... She did all the dishes. She cooked all the meals. I didn't really have chores. Man, I've, you can say I was spoiled if you want to. I don't think that's what it is. I think she just loved me. But she, she did that. So when I got married, even if I really wasn't thinking it, the expectation for me was, hey, mama's going to clean the room. Mama's going to always cook the dinner. And she's like, I ain't your mama. So that ain't happening. You clean your stuff, right? So there's just differences in expectations. Sometimes people get married and their expectation is, hey, I'm going to keep my bank account. You're going to keep your bank account. We'll kind of make this thing work. And then the other spouse is saying, no, these bank accounts need to be together. So the expectations are completely different and they go unmet with a certain spouse. And that's, that's usually the, really the root cause of, of conflict. Then the second thing is selfishness. Let's just call it what it is. We're selfish people. And then maybe you get a text saying, hey, before I get home, I really want this done. And you're like, yeah, well, if the Braves go off in time, then I'll do this. And we're so selfish that we're going to sit and we're going to do something that we want to do, knowing that we can bless our spouse if we just did the small thing that they asked us to do. And I'm not telling on myself, I'm just giving you an example. That this kind of stuff can't happen, right? We're selfish people. 
And we just have to know that. We have to know that we have certain expectations coming into a relationship. And if we're not in one yet, you have expectations in your head going into that relationship. My challenge for you, if you're not married yet, if you're not in a relationship yet, is that you talk about those expectations before you say, I do. Because those expectations are super important. Talk about your selfishness. Say, hey, well, when it comes to this, I tend to be a little selfish. I'm going to need you to help me with that. But those are the two main root causes of conflict. So how are we going to fight fair? We're going to read James 1, 19 and 20 together. And I want us to see how two verses in Scripture, really just one, just verse 19, inspired by the Holy Spirit, when applied to marriage, can really transform our marriage into a God-honoring marriage. James 1.19 says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Verse 20, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Let's pray. God, I pray that you speak this morning. God, change hearts, strengthen marriages, prepare people for what you have for them in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. So how to fight fair? Number one is this. We're going to choose to listen. We're going to choose to listen. We see it says, let every person be quick to hear. And as some of you are like, well, I listen pretty well, but here's, here's the truth, and we're going to be really practical right now, is that usually when conflict starts and the enemy, right? Let's just, let's just talk about it really quick, like it's us against them, because that's usually how we view argument. How many of you view arguments with your spouse like it's us against them? Man, I'm proud of you. There's everybody sitting with their spouse like, I'm not raising my hand for that. That's crazy. But just think about it. They start something, right? Not They don't start the conflict, but they start the conversation. And here, here the fight is starting. And what we do most of the time is we begin to plan out our next move. We're already thinking ahead of, Okay, so I kind of hear what you're saying. Not really. I'm planning really what my next move is and what I want to say and how I need to maneuver around these, these bombs that you're throwing at me right now, right? And, and that's, how we, that's really how we react to this. And we're not really listening to what's being said. And that's really important because people want to know that they're being understood and that their feelings are being validated. Man, and how important is it for us to say, man, I understand what you're saying and I understand how it makes you feel. It doesn't mean you agree with what they're saying. It means that you understand what they're saying and you understand how it makes them feel. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding what's trying to be said. They just want to express their opinion. And man, I can find myself doing this a lot. Again, I'm a competitive person and I'm really strategic and man, my brain works really logically. So here comes all these bombs at me and I'm like, all right, I got to do this next. I really need to go here. If I bring this up, I know it's going to cause this reaction. And there's just all kinds of stuff going on in our heads and we're not listening at all. And I, I learned something in a non-church, non-Christian environment but when I entered into the world of, of nuclear, right, it, the, the, the whole different crazy world of, of nuclear, they have this thing where they make you speak a certain way, 
Right? So when I'm at work, I have to speak a certain way that I don't have to speak anywhere else. It's not a different language or anything like that. I'm not smart enough to learn a different language. It's just a different style, a different method, and they call it three-way communication. Where someone gives a message, the receiver then has to repeat the message back, and then the first person that sent the message says, yep, that's correct, or nope, you kind of missed that. Let me tell you again. So this is what it would be like. It's like, hey, Dustin, I need you to do ABC. And I would say, I understand, you need me to do ABC. They would say correct. Or if I got it wrong, they'd say that's incorrect. Now, this is a, a really off-the-wall type example, but what I want you to understand is the reason that they have communication like that at a nuclear site is because they believe that the stakes are high enough to get it right. And if we believe that the stakes are high enough in our marriage, then we will choose to listen. And it's okay for us to repeat back. Maybe Ashley comes to me and says, hey, when you didn't do the dishes when I texted you because you were watching the Braves game, it made me feel X, Y, Z. And I should be listening enough to where I can say, hey, I understand that when I didn't do this, this is how it made you feel. But a lot of times I'm already thinking, well, I know she's going to say this because I was watching the Braves game. There's got to be something else that was going on that kept me from doing the dishes, right? There's a reason. And I'm planning this escape. What we have to do is we have to love our spouse enough to listen to them. Man, we can't be thinking of, of what we want to say without understanding what's being said to us. Man, show love by choosing to listen. Number two is this, consider your words. It says, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. So we oftentimes say things in the middle of conflict that tear down. Right? Because we're in this, we're in this battle. Right? And there's, there's energy. And there's passion. And there's flesh. And we begin to throw words around that really hurt. And this is something that I used to do a lot because, again, I'm really good with words sometimes, and I could just say certain things, and I knew how deep it would cut, right? And I think that spouses a lot of times do that because they think if they could cut deep enough, then the problem will go away. And all it does is it adds on to the issue that's already being discussed in the first place. Now we have to consider the words that we use Proverbs 21, 23 says, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue under control, shut, keeps himself out of trouble. Man, how often do you think about the words that you're saying in the middle of conflict? Here's two questions I want you to ask yourself. Number one is this, should it be said? Is this something that even needs to be said? If she tells you that you have to clean the house, or he, if he or she tells you that you have to clean the house before you go on vacation, and you're thinking, why do I have to clean the house before I go on vacation? Is somebody going to break in and see that our house is dirty? Like, it, that doesn't make sense. That's probably something you just don't need to say. Just clean the house. I've learned over the years that People just like to come home to a clean house after vacation. And all the women said, Amen. And it still doesn't make sense to me. 
But I understand that it makes you feel really good when the house is clean when you come home for vacation. So I validate that feeling. Sweetheart. And for all of you as well. But what we do is we begin to say things when they don't really need to be said. And the reason is because it's hard for some of us in our human nature not to get some words in. Because we think that, man, if we just let them talk and we don't say it, then man, we're not actually putting our two cents in. And I promise you that your spouse already knows your two cents and your three and your four and whatever else. They already know how you feel. Right? So ask yourself, should it be said? And then the second thing is this. Ask yourself, should it be said now? Because there are some things that do need to be said in the middle of conflict, but it doesn't need to be said during the conflict. Right? So when there's a battle or a fight or a conflict, there's a single issue at hand, and that should be the issue that's focused on. And what we do is we begin to say things that other issues that may need to be addressed, and then it starts piling on top and we never address the issue that started the conflict in the first place. So sometimes we have to get to a place where we say, you know what, this does need to be said, it just doesn't need to be said right now. Let's focus on what we're talking about, and then we'll bring up these issues later. So early on in our marriage, we kind of, me and Ashley, we put in some rules for our marriage, and Man, if you're married, maybe you don't have rules. Maybe this is just a good start for you, perhaps. If you're not married, you really need to get some rules for, for fighting. Um, and this, these are our rules. I'm not saying they're perfect. This is just what we use. We, we do no name calling, right? Don't call each other names. It's, it's not nice, and there's nothing good that can come from it. Now, if you have like a pet love name or something like that, you can do whatever you want with that. Snooky dooky do, whatever, right? I don't care about that. But don't, don't call people... Bad names. Number two is no bringing up the past. Right? Don't get historical in an argument. It's, it's not good. It doesn't help. That's already over. Don't bring up the past. Be aware of the tone and the volume. Volume, I'm usually good with. Tone, something I may struggle with a little bit. But just be aware of the way that you're saying it and the volume in which you're saying it. Because, man, if people start yelling, there's nothing good that comes from yelling. And then number four is never bring up the divorce word. Just don't throw it in there. That's a low blow. It's, it's a jab. It's a knife throw. It's the way the unhealthy couples fight. Don't ever throw the divorce word into an argument. Because we believe in fighting for our marriage, not throwing it away and giving up. And then this isn't one of our rules, but I wanted to just throw this in in case you're going to kind of implement these. Don't bring your pastor into it. Don't say, but Pastor Dustin said, nope, leave me out of it. You got yourself into the mess. You can get yourself out of the mess. I'm at home calling Ashley some cool, sweet names and stuff. Like, I'm just, don't, don't bring me into it. So we're going to choose a list and we're going to consider our words. And then number three is this, control your anger. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Here's, here's what I've learned in life. This is what I know. 
that if we go to bed angry, and Scripture teaches us right here in this, in this verse, if we go to bed angry, we wake up and we have given the enemy a foothold into our marriage. We have given the enemy a foothold to begin to tear down and destroy our marriage. And there's some of you sitting in this room who are like, man, my marriage just isn't really good. And there's a lot of stuff that we just never worked out. And here's the problem. Each time you've gone to bed without working out an issue, the devil has gotten more and more and more control of your relationship. Man, and we can't be healthy, God-honoring couples if the devil is all up in our relationship. It just doesn't work like that. Now, there may be some nights that you don't go to sleep. It may be an issue. And there's, like when you say I do, there's just this innate characteristic for couples that they know that the battlefield is the bed. So when you go to bed at night, man, you assume the fighting position, which is back to back, right? And you ain't touching. There's got to be space. You're facing this wall. You're facing this wall. And we got two different types of people. We have the silent type, and then we have the huffer, right? So Ashley's the silent type. She turns, she faces this way, I face this way, and she doesn't even want me to know she's breathing. Like, I can't even have the satisfaction of knowing that my wife is alive because she is, she's battling in this moment. I am the huffer. So I'm going to lay there and I'm going to... And I'm going to wait a few minutes and I'm going to turn over really... I'm a big guy anyway. I'm going to turn over. The bed's going to shake because she falls asleep like that. So I know I'm just going to give it a couple minutes. She's going to be asleep. And then boom! Bomb on the bed and she's waking up. And then I'll wait a couple more minutes. And then I'm going to go to the bathroom, flip the light on without shutting the door so it lights up the whole room. And she's just laying there. And I just know she's fuming. And she's ready to fight. How many are you the silent type? Any silence in here? Okay. How many huffers? Be honest. That's what I'm talking about. And here's the truth. Scripture teaches us, do not let the sun go down. Don't go to sleep mad. Don't go to sleep with unresolved issues in your relationship. And the reason is, the devil gets a foothold when you do that into your marriage, into your relationship, into your life. Man, sometimes we just got to let some things go. You just got to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I ain't singing it. But sometimes we just got to do it. Let it go. Sometimes it's just got to... And there's some, there's some things in life that it's just not worth it. If you think about some of the fights you've had with your spouse... I bet you could look back and say, man, what were we thinking? Like, that wasn't even important. And the thing is, we're sinful, selfish people, and we like stuff a certain way. Some of us like eggs scrambled. Some of us like them fried. Don't put cheese in my eggs when you scramble them. That's not how I grew up. That's an unmet expectation for me. I've had to learn she's putting cheese in the eggs. It don't matter. Like, it just doesn't matter. If you want cheese, get a slice of cheese and put it on your sandwich or whatever you want to do. Don't put them in my eggs. But I've learned to let that go. You just got to let things go. 
So this is how we're really going to fight fair. And I just want to give you some signs really quick that you aren't fighting fair because if, if you fall into these and these are signs in your marriage and you're fighting, then it's time to begin to seek after God even more than you have been. And number one, the first thing is this, it is criticizing. Now there's a difference between complaining and criticizing. Complaining is saying, hey, you didn't do the dishes and I don't like that. Criticizing is you never do the dishes and you never do anything, right? So there's a difference. And we begin to criticize our spouse. We begin to put this big blanket over them that tells them who they are that we don't like. And then criticism turns into contempt. And then we begin to be disgusted with our spouse. We begin the eye roll phase with our spouse. Not an eye roll because you say something dumb, husband. Just the eye roll that is like, I'm just done with them. I'm disgusted. I don't even like them. And I don't know if you've ever met a couple, or maybe you are that couple where you just don't like your husband, you don't like your wife, and that's a sign that you need to begin to seek after God, that your priorities are probably out of line, that you haven't been pursuing, that that communication hasn't been there, and the fighting definitely isn't fair. And then contempt turns to defensiveness. Everything is always the other person's fault. Man. And this, man, this hits home, right? Because we don't want to be blamed for stuff. And I'm not saying that you can't be defensive at times. I'm saying that when every single argument, every single conflict, every single fight is always someone else's fault, then something is really, really wrong and unhealthy in the relationship. And then the, the last thing is it turns into stonewalling, where someone's just checked out. They're just done. There's no more fighting because they don't care enough to fight. And studies show that 85% of the time this is the man, this is the husband. The husband just checks out and he's done. So we're going to close really quickly. I, wanna, I want us to make some commitments today. Some commitments of how we're going to fight fair. Obviously we're going to listen, right? We're going we're to consider our words. We're going to control our anger. But I want to give you just some, some commitments that you can make personally this morning. Number one is this, I will respond instead of react. I will respond instead of react. Romans 12, 21 says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. See, what happens is we begin to fight and, and then our, our reaction is to do something in our human nature most of the time. But if we can truly listen and we can understand how someone's feeling, then it's a lot easier for us to respond in the Spirit and allow the Spirit to lead us into a response. Number two is this, I will focus on the good instead of the bad. Philippians 4 it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Focus on the good parts of your marriage. Focus on the good parts of your relationship. There's going to be some parts that aren't so good. Don't focus on the bad. And you can work through those fairly. You can, you can fight fairly about those things, but focus on the good. Because there's so much good in your relationship. Man, God has ordained 
the marriage relationship. He's created it. And because He created it, it's, it's good because of Him. But man, if we're seeking after Him, if He's our number one, and we're pursuing our spouse as our number two, and we keep those priorities in the right order, man, God is going to be honored and He's going he's gonna to bless your marriage in ways that you may have never even thought possible. And the third thing is this, I will talk instead of walk. And I will talk instead of walk. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 again says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Listen, some people think getting angry is a sin. This, this verse says, Be angry and do not sin. It's what we do with the anger. We see in James, right, chapter one twenty, says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There's this... There's a such thing as righteous anger. But if we get mad in our flesh, and then we react in that, man, that's going to lead to all kinds of sin and destruction, and we're going to tear people down. But when we respond in the Spirit, we allow the Spirit to do work with our anger so that He gets the honor and the glory for that. Don't walk away and say, I'm done. I'm not even having this conversation. Commit to talk. Commit to working through the issues in your marriage. Because it's so, so important. See, remember this. Healthy couples fight for resolution. Unhealthy couples fight for victory. And that's what my prayer and my heart is for each couple in this room. And for those of you who aren't yet married, man, my my prayer for you, my heart for you is that when you enter into this relationship of marriage one day, that you do so with the understanding of fighting fair. Being a healthy couple, a biblical couple. I'm going to challenge you as couples, and even those of you who aren't married, I want you to write a vision out for your marriage. And a lot of times people hear this and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, This isn't a business. This isn't an organization. Why do we really need a vision? Because the Bible is clear. Where there's no vision, things are going to die. And you should have a vision for your marriage. When, when Ashley and I got married, we had no vision for our marriage. Except, man, we're getting married. I had a vision as a young 25-year-old guy. right? I had a vision for my marriage. Did not work out the way I thought it was going to work out. But man, then we, we experienced some trouble as an unhealthy couple. And we had to learn what it looked like to be God-honoring. We had to learn what it looked like to have a healthy marriage. And one of the first things that this, this pastor told us as we sat down for some marital counseling is, hey, you need a vision for your marriage. So we decided that we would create a vision for our marriage. And, and our vision is to have a marriage that honors God that loves and honors one another. And that other people are pointed toward Jesus when they look at us. Man, that's the vision for our marriage. We want to honor God. We want to honor one another. And we want other people to see Jesus by the way that we live out our marriage in this world. And get a vision for your marriage and pray over that vision. 
Allow God to do work in your marriage. Allow God to do work in you, in your heart. Fight fair. And leave me out of it. Now let's stand together this morning. As you can see, we're going we're gonna to take communion together today. And we're going to do it a little different. We've actually never done it this way before here at Impact. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discuss communion and then I'm just going to, I'm going to open up the floor to you guys. And whenever you feel led, I want you to come down and I just want you to partake of the elements on your own. Just standing here at the table. If you want to go back to your seat, you can. But we're going to do this individually as couples today. We're not going to do this really corporately all at the same time. So whenever you feel led after I pray, you just come up and you grab the elements. And you can partake at the table. You can go to the side. You can come down here and pray. You can go back to your seat. Whatever you want to do or feel led to do. But I'm going to challenge you, if you are married in this room, husbands, I'm going to challenge you to bring your wife down. Pray with her. Take communion as a couple today. If your spouse isn't here, if you don't have one, man, this doesn't make this any less significant for you because it's not about us at all. It's about Him and what He's done for us. Matthew 26, 26 through 28 says this, Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And He took a cup and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. We take the bread, we remember the body of Christ. We remember the stripes that He took on our behalf as He suffered under the lashes of soldiers. We remember His betrayal, the crucifixion. We remember His death. See, there's nothing supernatural about the bread itself, but it's a strong spiritual reminder of who our Savior is and what He did for us. And the cup, we often sing that there's power in the blood, that nothing can wash away our sins but the blood of Jesus. And what a powerful reminder that is. And as we drink of this cup, we recall that aside from the blood of Christ, we have no hope, no peace, and no salvation. It is through His blood that we are truly made free. We are truly made whole. And our chains are forever broken. And we're not supposed to take communion if we have bitterness or an unforgiving spirit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a chance on your own to, to pray and ask God to search your heart. And if there's any unforgiveness or bitterness that you're dealing with, that He will show you that. And that you will lay that down at His feet. And that communion, the Lord's Supper, this is it's for the believer. It's for the Christ follower. And if you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus yet, man, I would love to have a conversation with you up here where you say, man, today's the day that I want to begin to follow Jesus. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.